Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil. I'm also joined, as always, by Terry, who's also in Minnesota with me, and Bob, who's in Virginia. We are three distinct voices, bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into this conversation. We want you to join in the conversation as well. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leave a message there. We also have a link in the description. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house here in Minnesota and in the Midwest. Now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations continue to be a light not only for us, but for you as well. Now let us welcome Terry and Bob into the conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Strange Catholics. This week we're going to cover a few recent news items. Our topic this week is how this new normal of COVID and how it's impacted our ability to receive and adore our Lord and worship Him in the sacraments, how that's changed and how we're going to continue to draw ever closer to our Lord through these obstacles that we've come across. Our saint this week is St. Peter Claver. Now for opening prayer, let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we ask you to please shower down upon us, not just here speaking, but all of those that might listen, your Holy Spirit. Grant the peace, the grace, and the mercy to all of us, so that we may feel your gentle embrace. Lord, we ask you to reach out, bring the intentions that are on our hearts, and place them before your throne. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. 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 And of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bob, take it away. Thanks, Phil. Hey, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is when you're listening to this podcast. And uh, hello to my brothers in Christ for another podcast. Which one is this, 14? Or in 14. 14. Yes. All sir. right. Well, dun, 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 dun. Getting through it, you know, another record podcast. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about current events, everyone. Um, unfortunately, um, within the last you know, day or so, uh, a uh, article came out um, in the Duluth Diocese, Duluth, Minnesota Diocese, about the bishop-elect there uh, resigning amidst sexual abuse accusations. Now, this is uh, Reverend Michael Malloy. He's from Rapid City, and uh, he was set to be installed as the 10th bishop of the Duluth Diocese on the 1st of October, um, he, he had sent, he sent a resignation to the Holy Father who accepted it here. Um, the issue stems from, uh, allegations that, uh, of sexual misconduct in, uh, Rapid City. And, uh, it was investigated by the, uh, by the diocese there. And they did find that there was a reason to move that forward to the civil authorities. And at that time, Reverend Malloy 
put his resignation in. So I'm opening up for other comments. It's, it's just a sad, sad situation uh, for Reverend Malloy, for sexual abuse victim involved, uh, and for the church as a whole. You guys can talk. Yeah, I, for, I mean, again, it, it hurts my heart every time we have one of these cases come forward, especially for the victims, because this whoever this victim is has been living with this scar and hasn't yet been able to bring it out. Now it's out in light, so now maybe they can start some of the healing process, but it will take many years, decades, or, or longer to start to that really process of reconciliation, the impact that this heinous act has had on them and all victims and even those, you know, tertiary to the victims, those that know victims. I The one, and we talked about this pre-podcast, but I am appreciative that this process seemed to move very swiftly. It didn't seem to take months and months. This seemed to be a very quick from allegation to investigation to reporting to authorities and resignation all seemed to happen very quickly. So for that, I am very thankful that it seems as though there is a bit more of a, hopefully, God willing, more streamlined process. So, you know, God forbid we have any other cases, it goes a lot more smooth. We have reports to authorities. All these things happen right away. I would just say that I'm not completely convinced this is the maybe the best way to go about it, but I am hopeful that it does seem like in this case, that the system did work much better than it has in the past. So, so I, I would acknowledge that and um, agree with you, Terry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I would, um, I would agree with the both of you in the sense, first of all, good, good evening to you. Good evening to our listeners or hello, I should say. Um, but I would also just chime in here and, um, Add a thumbs up to those that were investigating this um, by making this a streamlined process by being right on top of it. Uh, we were able to get a swift and speedy response and prevent further damage from being done to the Catholic Church by having this individual be installed as bishop, which was supposed to happen in October. Um and then all of a sudden, now, not only um, have to remove this person from office, but then now find somebody else to take his place. So we've kind of averted some of the dishevelment for those in the Duluth Diocese. Um, and my prayers really do go out to um, all victims of sexual abuse. Um, I pray that uh, at some point, you can heal and all of us can heal from uh, this experience. It's the most unfortunate experience, but um, I pray that someday uh, we'll, we, this will be behind us. So I also have prayers for the Duluth Diocese. They don't have a bishop. Their bishop passed away not that long ago. And they're without a bishop. And and now we have this situation happen. I mean, this is a diocese that's in bankruptcy currently because of these types of issues. 
And there's been at least 38 credible uh, identified priests that have, have been accused. So, you know, if you're if you're in the Duluth diocese, you're a parishioner like, hey, we just want to get past this and, and move on. And how can we move on? And then this happens. Right. So the next leader of your flock is has to resign because of this. It's just it's just a terrible situation to be in if you're in the Duluth diocese right now. So so they need everyone's prayers for the parishioners of that diocese. Uh, to give them the strength to continue to go forward. So it's going to be, it's tough times here for them. All right. So uh, the next thing I want to bring up um, is along the same vein is an article that I picked up from, um, I think it was the Catholic news agency. And it was in, in regard to uh, some things going on in Australia, right? So Australia has also had some, sex pre-sex abuse issues there over the past period of years and just some interesting things about the way the government there has been working with uh with the australian catholic church and some interesting things to if i don't know if anybody's been following this but the uh the attempts of the government to ask them to not have the seal of confession anymore right if somebody uh confesses that they're a child sex abuser. Um, they've also talked about um, celibacy being an option for priests instead of being a requirement. So uh, very, very interesting. And, and the church in, in both sides has said, no, you know, uh, the seal of confession is and dissolve it, it you cannot break the sacramental right, seal which is what we covered on involability or whatever it is inviability um, I, yeah i can't say the word very well i can say cartagena but i can't say that <laughs> <laughs> okay but that's what i but it is the seal right so if we just think of it as a seal right it's secret um and and there were certainly some other caveats in there where the confessor can you know, uh, suggest that they go forward and, you know, meet with authorities, all those other things, but um, that they can't break that seal, though. And then the other part about uh, celibacy, which I think for future podcasts, we'll, we'll probably broach that subject for, for Catholics to listen to is why priests are celibate and to kind of give them the historical part and, and the importance of that. But just in a nutshell, um, I would just like to give a little bit out of this article where they talked about celibacy. The practice of clerical celibacy is very is a very ancient origin that is developed in imitation of the style of life chosen by Jesus Christ himself, and that it cannot be understood outside of the logic of faith and of the choice of a life dedicated to God. For future podcasts, we're going to talk more about celibacy just to try to help people understand that. Because I think it's a misconception among Catholics of why priests are celibate, except that they're married to the church, which is right. But there's a lot more to it than that. So great topic. So the last thing I want to bring up real quick is. Um, Pope Francis will be signing a new encyclical. Fratelli Tutti on 3 October 
this is going to cover, get to it here. I just had it a minute ago. Maybe it's in my notes. Uh, it's going to be basically social, political, economic type stuff. Uh, it, it's going, you know, fratelli tutti in, in Italian is brothers and sisters all. That's what that means. So look for that coming out here in the next uh, month or so, 3 October. But when we get that, I'm sure we'll read it and we'll have some discussions on it on this podcast. But just something uh, to look for in the future. I mean, it's worth reading. It'll be covering human fraternity, equal dignity of all people, preferential option for the poor. A lot of things that are very, very important things to Pope Francis and born to all of us. But very, you know, very important to Pope Francis. So things to look for. But that's all I have for uh, current events. So let's transition to our main topic. And Phil's going to lead on that. Phil. Thank you, Bob. So this week, as we mentioned, we're going to talk about that new normal. So how has everything that's been put in place to try and help protect individuals from COVID, how has that impacted our faith, this new normal as it is now become to be known. Not to mention, in the very least, many people are required to wear masks. There are far fewer people coming to regular mass. Uh, daily mass attendance is down, but especially our Sunday liturgies are down exceptionally, at least in what I've seen from our diocese and even the Archdiocese of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Some parishes that are doing outdoor masses only have been seeing you know, some uptick or hitting near close to the max allowed outside. But I know that there are dioceses around our country where you can't have anyone inside and you're limited to, you know, five to 15 people outside. So to look at these, how has this impacted our faith? There are many people that still have yet to be able to come back to mass because of their weakened immune system. You know, many of the things that we've talked about in previous podcasts, but talking about the new normal, how has everyone wearing a mask impacted our ability to, you know, see the human person because we start to, when there's, when there's uh, something blocking our ability to see people's reactions, their facial expressions, this has an impact on really, you know, when all we're seeing is the eyes, sometimes that can help, but sometimes we're missing that expression that people are giving us. Uh, as a parent, it can be very difficult to mouth to your children with a mask on <laughs> so that they behave. Uh, but we've been restricted in some of our access to the sacraments, as we've talked about. And it has, in many ways, had an, a disparate impact, um, not just on our faith, but in the faith of Catholics and all Christians because of the the limit of the access to sacraments as Catholics were sacramental people. So these sacraments we can't do over TV as we've talked before. So yes, we can make a spiritual communion, but our our soul, our spirit is really nourished by the Eucharist and and confirmed in these in these sacraments. So not having these is kind of like draining the battery a little bit more than we might want it to be, especially those that can't yet come back to mass. And it has not helped in that we don't have an end in sight and we don't know when that will be. So where we are today is probably where we're going to be and there's probably not going to be a change. I can stop there, see what you guys have for comments on that. There's not going to be a change. 
um, in the near future. You know, some of the uh, discussion now is at the earliest we could see a potential vaccine at the end of October, but that's, you know, uh, overly optimistic, uh, more than likely November, December. And then at that point, um, how many doses will be available? I know that Operation Warp Speed, which is what the government is working on right now, is trying to test uh, certain vaccines and at the same time produce it uh, in hopes that it will have uh, efficacy so they can utilize some of those doses. But even at that point, I mean, you know, who's going to get who's going to get it first and how long is it going to take? I mean, it could be up to a year, right, before maybe you get it. I mean, we don't know. So so the new normal is going to be in place until we get a vaccine. And then after that, that and that's really the biggest thing that scares me. After that, then what do we do? Okay, so we, you know, we were scared, you know, this scared the H out of us, this pandemic. What kind of fear are we going to have going forward? Because we're going to be afraid about the next one. So, you know, our, our diocese is just going to go, everybody doesn't need to wear a mask anymore. To, to me, besides people not going and getting the Eucharist, which is the most important thing, um, it's what about the sign of peace? I mean, in some respects now, we're back in the sanctuary. We're together, but are we really worshiping as much together? We don't even interact that much. We can't, we don't really give signs of peace. We don't touch each other, all that other stuff. Are we going to be allowed to do that again? Or, or are we going to just say, well, we better play it safe because there could be another virus or we don't know if the, or if the vaccine will work. I mean, or will people repel because they're, they're afraid, right? Uh, and that type of thing. So a lot of things out there. Well, Bob, you bring up some great issues and and a lot to really chew on, and and I would agree with you. And there's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, and what will the new normal look like going forward? Um, it's really hard to tell. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that we get back to what we had before, but you know. I guess we'll just have to leave that up to the hands of God and pray that, you know, at some point we do get back to worshiping the way we did prior to COVID-19. For me, one of the things that um, other than because at at uh, my church where I worship uh, here in central Minnesota, uh, regularly regularly receiving under both species, both bread and blood, was a practice that we had at our weekend uh, celebrations. And of course, COVID has dispensed with that. You know, we are fortunate enough now to receive the bread, uh, which in and of itself is fantastic. But, you know, there's still kind of that, that missing piece. So, for me, spiritually, I'm nourished, as always, by the Eucharist. Um, but it still seems like it's missing something. And then, of course, the other caveat to that is singing. I'm a music guy. Music speaks to my soul. 
Um, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from singing and from the words of, of songs. And so not being able to sing in church, even though if you sat around me in church, you would probably want to plug your ears. Uh, that being said, just not being able to sing in church uh, really is, is distressing to me. And it's something that my wife continues to bring up in our discussions about, you know, I really wish we could just at least sing, if nothing else, just one song each mass. This was confusing. Okay, I was just up there for your ordination, right? And we didn't sing. Yeah, yeah. I went to, what, a mass, a couple masses, right? We sing here. We have to wear masks here. But, but we've never, so, so you guys didn't wear masks when you came back right away. And then the mask I got put in place, Correct. which is probably, I hate to say this, and I know some parishioners don't like it, and I don't like it either, but it's probably the most prudent thing to do is to say everybody should wear a mask in the sanctuary, right? A vaccine being out there, it's a, it's a good public health measure, right? That most public health people would agree with, right? Understand there can be some conflicting science on it. We always had to have a mask on and we sang or, or at least we have a cantor sing. I mean, they tell us we can sing with the mask on if we want, you know. Okay. I mean, okay. so what's the, I mean, so I don't see what the issue, why why St. Cloud or other dioceses, but St. Cloud's just one that did this, other dioceses decided to make the decision to not have, at least just say, hey, I'm going to have a cantor sing, right? I mean, and you could say everybody else can't sing, but at least then it's something that speaks to you, right? I don't, right. I don't get it. And that's what we have here. I mean, you saw it like at my ordination and at my first mass, we have a cantor singing on behalf of the congregation, but it's still not that uh, congregational, communal, everybody singing together, uh, even to just sing the Alleluia verse before the gospel. Amen. We, but do you guys... Did you guys sing the psalm or did you did we speak the song? At my ordination mass it was sung by the cantor. Yeah, but it, is that what happened in that mass or did you guys speak it? Neither. The so at his parish the cantor does all of it. So at my parish we speak the responsorial. So we're yeah. we're speaking that response. So at least we're bringing that psalm even if all we're doing is speaking with a mask on. We're at least bringing those words, saying them out loud. We're not yet singing them, so we can, you know, pray them twice. Uh, but maybe getting closer to that, I would I would love to be to the point where we could where we could sing along. We're all wearing masks. We know that singing or there's been studies that come out. This is why the diocese has done this and many other dioceses have done this around the country and around the world. Um, is that study that said multiple studies that said Singing is, you know, is uh, is enlarging the distribution window for aerosols. And so we need to restrict singing so we don't have aerosols everywhere. That's why, um, if I had to guess, obviously I'm not in the diocesan office. I don't work for the chancery, so I can't say specifically. But if I had to guess, that's probably why that decision was made. Okay, here's where a little bit of my struggle comes in is that we are being restricted in our churches and not just the Catholic churches. Uh, I know a lot of churches that are not singing, 
but yet NFL football is just around the corner and they're talking about having fans in the stands. So you do you think that a fan is going to go to the game and sit there and be quiet and not cheer? And they would be expressing the same amount of aerosols that you would if you were singing. The only difference is it's in a larger space than a worship space. However, there's more bodies. So you can't social distance for somebody shouting and screaming as a as a crazy fan. Well, have you yep. seen some? I was going to say, you know, looking at the models that I've seen for said NFL teams and knowing that MLP, MLB, Major League Baseball, ha- very few teams, if any, have fans at all. Zero. Um, they have so, none, and they're not allowed any. Yeah. So, Baseball I mean, looking at zero. Yeah, so looking at, so I watched uh, an MLS uh, soccer uh, professional soccer game last night, and they allowed 100 people in a stadium that yeah, nobody watches that. tens of thousands. Nobody watches that. I mean, you know, whatever. But <laughs> Unless you're Phil. Yeah, what I country are you from? Uh, United <laughs> States of America, thank you. Uh, so the NFL, I think, is, I don't even think they're doing it for the first couple games. They're phasing they are. something, right. but it's still, again. Depends on the state. It does depend on the state. A state has a lot to do with the decision that the team makes. Right. So Governor Walls in your state, he hasn't said you can't sing in church, right? No, I believe that's, that's a diocesan. Decision. No, that's, that's a diocesan. That's a decision made by the church, the diocese, the right. Okay. He just says you got to wear a mask. Okay. And social distance. Um, if you watch any of the college games over the weekend, so there's like four or five conferences that are playing. A couple of them started and they allowed fans and it was like 25% capacity. And it had to be like, you could only have maximum of six people in in a group, like a family members or people who knew each other very closely. And then there was uh you know, just sort of like you do in church, potentially every other pew or every other row. Um, so you'd have people sitting and then there'd be a row in between them. But you're right. I mean, you could scream and holler and then turn around and scream and holler at somebody and still. And most of those people weren't wearing masks because they were six feet apart. This is a problem I have. Like I was out walking today. And so when people see me, they put a mask on. I mean, some, some of them do. You know, and they think they're being courteous, but I, we all, and then they, then they like walk out in the street or I walk out in the street and we try to make sure we're like six or 10 feet from each other and they put on a mask and then they stare at me and I'm like, Hey dude, you're like six, more than six feet away from me. I'm not going to worry about the mask as much at that point. And we're outside. Okay. If we're inside, it could be different, but I mean. You know, and there's other people like, hey, it's no big deal. You know, I mean, they understand that. But, I mean, the mask is supposed to be when we're a lot closer in contact. So maybe I'm meaning that, reading that wrong. But, you know, I. And if you shop at a certain certain shopping area, uh, a larger high volume store, um, nobody's paying attention to the. You know, they're all wearing masks, but they're not paying attention to the six foot. So we could go on about this forever. Yeah, but I think we're could. bitching a lot about it. So to wrap this up, Phil's going to wrap it up because he was, you know, he's, and then I'll, and then I'll send us to break. Go ahead, Phil. So 
what I wanted to talk about was <laughs> how we persevere during these times of dryness, how we really, if we don't have a strong prayer life, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, we need to start with we need to draw closer to our Lord in prayer, in diving into his scripture. And for those that can't yet make it back to mass is really making sure that we're setting aside Sunday is a special day that we're not just, you know, quick, maybe watching a mass or maybe just praying the readings and then just going about our day, trying to use those readings to reflect on our day and see what the Lord is placing on our heart. You know, really because of this dryness that we're experiencing, this is the time to draw ever closer to our Lord, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts. So that wraps that that long, elongated session. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be right back with uh, our wonderful Saint of the Week. We'll be right back. We are back. We are back, and it's time for Terry to talk about uh, the saint that we're going to talk about this week. St. Peter Claver. St. Peter Claver, yes. From Cartagena. Actually, it was actually from a Catalan village, but yes, okay. he ended up Catalonian in, village. Okay, yes, but he did end up in in Cartagena, which I'll bring up. So, thank you, Bob, very much for that wonderful introduction. So, Saint Peter Claver, uh, just an incredible saint, uh, big supporter or uh, patron saint, I guess you could call him, of African missions and interracial justice due to his work with slaves in Colombia. And he is also the patron saint of the country of Colombia. He was born in 1581 AD into a devoutly Catholic and prosperous fam, uh, farming family in the Catalan village of Verdú. He studied at the Jesuit college at Barcelona and entered the Jesuit novitiate in 1602 and took his final vows on August 8, 1604. As a student at the University of Barcelona, Claver was noted for his intelligence and his piety. After two years there, Claver wrote these words in the notebook he kept throughout his life. I must dedicate myself to the service of God until death on the understanding that I am like a slave. While studying philosophy at uh, Mejor Roca, the young religious was influenced by St. Alphonsus Rodriguez uh, to go to the Indies and save millions of perishing souls. Eight years later, he was sent to Cartagena, where he was ordained in 1616, Although Alphonsus spent his days doing menial work as a doorkeeper, he had an immense insight into spiritual matters and deeply impacted St. Peter Claver. Pope Leo VIII would later canonize both men on the same day, almost two centuries later. Now, we've talked about Cartagena. For those of you that don't know, Cartagena was a slave trading hub and 10,000 slaves poured into the port yearly uh, during the time that Peter Claver was, was there doing his missionary work. Crossing the Atlantic from West Africa under conditions so foul that an estimated one-third of those being transported died in transit. 
Although the slave trade was condemned by Pope Paul III and Urban VIII had issued a papal decree prohibiting slavery, it was a lucrative business and continued to flourish. St. Peter's predecessor in his eventual lifelong mission, Father Alonso de Sandoval, was his mentor and inspiration. Sandoval devoted himself to serving the slaves for 40 years before Claver arrived to continue his work. Sandoval attempted to learn about their customs and languages. He was so successful that when he returned to Seville, he wrote a book in 1627 about the nature, customs, rights, and beliefs of, of the Africans. Sandoval found St. Peter Claver an apt pupil. When he was so solemnly professed in 1622, Claver signed his final profession document in Latin as Petrus Claver, Ethiopium Semper Service, Peter Claver, Servant of the Ethiopians Forever. Whereas Sandoval had visited the slaves where they work, Claver preferred to head straight for the wharf as soon as the slave ship entered the port. Boarding the ship, he entered filthy and diseased holds to treat and minister to their bodily treated and terrified human cargo, who had survived a voyage of several months under horrible conditions. St. Peter wore a cloak, which he would lend to anyone in need. A legend arose that whoever wore the cloak received a lifetime health and was cured of all diseases. After the slaves were herded from the ship, Claver joined them with basic medicine, food, bread, brandy, lemons, and tobacco. With the help of interpreters and pictures he carried with him, he gave basic instructions. Despite strong official opposition, Peter preserved, persevered rather, uh, for 38 years, baptizing an estimated 300,000 enslaved individuals. He also visited them on local plantations to encourage their faith and exhort their masters to treat them humanely. During these visits, he often refused the hospitality of the plantation owners and instead stayed in the slave quarters. He was determined to sacrifice his own freedom to bring material aid and eternal salvation to African slaves in keeping with his vow to become the slave of the blacks forever. The young priest made and kept his resolution despite his own health problems aggravated by Cartagena's tropical climate and the language barrier between himself and the population he served. In keeping with his vow of slavery, Peter survived on minimal amounts of food and sleep. His life of humility and penance led to a miraculous occurrences as when he healed the sick with the touch of his cloak or appeared surrounded by a supernatural light during his hospital visits. In his last years of his life, Peter was too ill to leave his room. The ex-slave who was hired to care for him treated him cruelly not feeding him for many days, and even and never bathing him. Claver never complained. He was convinced that he deserved this treatment because of his the sins of his life. In 1654, Peter was anointed with the oil of the sacrament of the six. 
When the locals heard of the news, they crowded into his room to see him for one last time. They treated Peter Claver's room as a shrine and stripped it of everything but his bedclothes for mementos. Peter Claver died 7 September 1654. The city magistrates, who had previously frowned at his solicitude for the black outcast, ordered that he should be buried at public expense and with great pomp. He was beatified on July 16, 1850 by Pope Pius IX and canonized on January 15, 1888 by Leo VIII. And gentlemen, that is St. Peter Claver. From time to time, people talk about how the church um, had, did not do enough with slavery. Here's an example of a saint that dedicated his life to working with slaves. They weren't in the United States, but they were slaves, and they were African-American slaves in other parts of the world. It's just remarkable um, work by this uh, by uh, St. Peter Claver. Very much agreed. Yeah, beautiful story of this heroic saint standing up and serving. Uh, just uh, that title that he had, Slave of the Slaves, I think was a is a powerful title to sh- kind of show that model that Christ was asking us to be in reaching out and not thinking of ourselves as some someone that is above anyone, but rather we should first be a servant to all. Amen. Yeah, it's a wonderful for for you for your deacons, right? And uh, what your call Indeed. is. In, in regards to serving the people. Absolutely. So so that was great, Terry. Uh, it was a wonderful way to end our podcast with a, a beautiful saint like St. Peter Claver. St. Peter Claver, pray for us. Pray for us. Okay, so we've come to the end of another podcast, maybe a little bit longer than we would have wanted, uh, but a lot of things to say and a lot of good conversation much to the chagrin of Phil, who wants us to speed it up. (laughs) Uh, But before we go, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to us all over the world. We appreciate it very much. We we want your comments. We want your prayer intentions. We want to hear from you. So uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, whether it's Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, uh, there's others, wherever you are, uh, please leave us uh please do two things one leave us some comments give us some ideas tell us what we're doing right what we're doing wrong give us some prayer intentions we're here as a prayer community to pray with you and for you um the other thing is rate us you know five stars is like the standard for this podcast so if you can rate us five stars We'd appreciate it. If you rate us one star, then please put a comment in why you're rating us one star. We would not want that. But if you need to, we want to know how we can get better because we want to do the best we can for our listening audience. And there is a website that I always forget that Phil is going to fill in right now and tell you where all that show notes and all that other stuff is going to be. Phil? So you'll see the show notes just below in your podcast player, whatever you're using. 
but you can send your prayer intentions, any feedback, shows, suggestions, whatever it might be, to strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. A link will be in the description as well. All right. Thanks, Phil, for that. So as we close uh, this podcast with closing prayer and prayer intentions, Terry has taken it upon himself this week to do that for us. Take it away, Deacon Terry. Thank you, Bob. Gentlemen, let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we have a few prayer intentions that we bring before the Lord this week. For the repose of George's soul, may the Holy Spirit bring peace to those who are grieving, and may God welcome George home with open arms. For those who have recently been married and for those who are preparing for marriage, may God bless and sustain them in these days. For my friend Diane and her family, and for all those who have had to make end-of-life decisions for a loved one, may the Holy Spirit shower down upon them and grant them peace. For all those who are expecting, may God bring health and safety to the mothers. For all those who are suffering from anxiety due to COVID-19 or any other form of mental illness, may the Holy Spirit bring them peace during this time of darkness and isolation. So with these intentions, we just pause and we lift them up to the Lord. And we just say, Heavenly Father, you are a good, loving, and gracious God. And we thank you each and every day for the countless blessings you bestow in our lives. We thank you for our listeners, for Bob, for Phil, and for our conversation, and for the ability to come together to lift up your name in this electronic format that we are so gracious to have. Heavenly Father, we pray for all those that we have just lifted up to your holy name, and we pray for any intentions that we hold in our heart right now. We just ask that in this time of chaos and trouble and darkness and uncertainty, that you shepherd us through these dark times as Jesus did in the, in the storms, uh, in those stories in the Bible, and that you calm the waters and you bring us help, you bring us safety, and most of all, bring us peace. And we pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks a lot for that, Terry. That was a wonderful closing prayer and great intentions for those for those folks. Second that. Um, thanks, Terry. Thanks a lot for listening, folks. Uh, appreciate all the listeners, and uh, please let your friends and family know so they can listen and. More listeners, the better. We sure do appreciate it. So uh, we will see you next time. And until then, love you, brother. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and that it helps you continue to dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ and his church. If you would like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm 
forward slash strange Catholics. You can leave us a message there. We will play and respond to your question or comment as we are able in the next episode. We ask that you share this podcast and this episode especially with at least one person. This will help get the word out and help more people to join in the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. This really helps podcasts get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day, and may God bless you.